Well, I'm Thierry Warren, Vice President, Strategy and International Economics at Cyrano, and it's a great pleasure to uh, uh, welcome uh, Professor Will Pye from uh, Middlebury College. Um, and so my first question would be, uh, Professor Pyle, so what is your research about in a few words? Sure. Um, so I was here at Cyrano today talking about uh, a project that I've been working on for the past uh, several years relating to uh, urban land and, and in particular urban industrial land in, in Russia. Russian cities developed in a particularly unusual way in the 20th century, uh, in large part because of the socialist development model. And as we look at them at the beginning of the 21st century, we can see that legacy uh, in the form of a great deal of urban space given over to industry and uh, population disproportionately located at a distance from urban centers. So you compare a Russian city like Moscow to uh, a European city like Paris, and, and they look very diff different in terms of where people live and in terms of the role of, of industry in, in the city. And, and so what got me interested in, in urban industrial land uh, in, in Russia has since taken uh, me after um, a, uh, a very detailed survey of urban industrial enterprises in Russia to questions relating to whether or not the ownership of the land underneath privatized industries matters for the behavior of those privatized firms. And so I think it's been uh, a question that's been neglected by those who followed uh, Russia and the Russian economy's development over the past 20 years. But the relatively slow pace with which Russia has privatized their, their land, their commercial land, I think has uh, made it more difficult for uh, firms to access credit markets. It's resulted in greater financial market frictions. It's created a greater de degree of uncertainty in the minds of firms' owners and managers uh, uh, in terms of uh, their ability to uh, uh, maintain a hold of the profits and, and the rents that they, they generate uh, with greater public ownership of the land underneath privatized enterprises in a very corrupt environment like, like Russia has, there's the doubt in the minds of, of managers that if they don't own, own the land that it makes it just that much more easy for public officials to extract bribes, to extract, extract rents, and so it tends to reduce the effective time horizon. Of, of managers and owners of, of private firms. And, and uh, there have been a number of studies of privatization's impact, not land privatization, but the privatization of industrial assets, uh, the plants and equipment, etc., uh, that have not found a very strong uh, effect of privatization on the performance of enterprises. And I think this land question is in part uh, an explanation for that absence of a, of a strong effect. Do you see uh, differences across uh, the different provinces uh, in, in Russia? Yes, there, there actually is um, a, a relatively large, uh, high degree of variation across uh, Russian provinces with respect to land policy, uh, commercial land in urban centers. Uh, Moscow uh, a very uh, developed city, very uh, populous city, 
has gone very slow on liberalizing their land market. It's very difficult to gain access to, uh, to undeveloped land in Moscow. It requires going through a lot of bureaucracy. Um, there's a reluctance of public officials to, uh, to make land available on a transparent basis. Uh, but there have been other re regions which have gone relatively quickly uh, in terms of liberalizing uh, their land markets, making it easier for new firms, uh, startups, to, uh, to access previously undeveloped lands. Um, those regions have, some of those regions have been uh, more receptive to building out infrastructure, um, heating and electrical networks, uh, to go along with the, the greater access of, of, of land plots. Uh, so that, yes, there is a great deal of variation across space within Russia. One of the neat uh, things about studying Russia is, is that it's, it's, it's such a big country uh, that you can use the variation, the political and economic variation across space, across the regional territorial units, to ask and answer very interesting social science questions about the relationship between political and economic institutions and, and on the one hand and economic outcomes um, on the other. And my last question, uh, so what would be your uh, uh, perspective on the future of uh, Russia? My perspective, oh, that's, 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 that's the biggest question, <laughs> a big question for a very big country. So uh, the Russian future um, very difficult to predict. Uh, who, it was Churchill, I think, that Russia, said that Russia was a riddle wrapped in an enigma surrounded by a mystery or something to that effect. Uh, as we look back on the, the, the last generation in Russia, one of the best predictors of the Russian macroeconomy and the Russian trajectory has been the global oil price. Russia is still, despite my interest in urban land, it's still a country that's ulti whose ultimate trajectory is is, is uh, determined by global energy markets uh, because Russia is uh, one of the top two producers of both oil and natural gas and they have plenty of reserves of both going forward and their, um, their role in the world will be in large uh, part determined by uh, the demand for those resources and if you look in the pa over the past generation at, at the global price for for oil, it explains almost everything interesting about Russian political economy. So if you go back to the, the 1970s when the global price of oil was high, that was a time period when the Russian military expanded greatly because there were uh, all these uh, oil rents coming into the national coffers that allowed uh, an otherwise decaying economy to prop up a, a growing military, to support military expansionism into Afghanistan. 1980s, the global oil price went way down, uh, and Gorbachev reassessed the Soviet Union's role in, in the world. He ended the Brezhnev Doctrine, he pulled the tanks out of Central and Eastern Europe, he let those countries go their own way, and he introduced uh, political, uh, uh, greater uh, political uh, freedoms at, at, at home. Um, 1990s, also a relatively low global oil price, that was a period of, of contraction of the Russian economy, um, some disillusionment uh, among the Russian populace with what came to be associated with the words capitalism and democracy. The economy was not doing well, in large part because uh, the, um, 
the uh, the global um, uh, oil price was was not bringing a lot of money into uh, into the national coffers. Then the global oil price goes up in the past ten years, um, and Putin uh, comes onto the scene and he's he's able to uh, make Russia more of a uh, a prominent player on the global stage. Uh, he's not going to be a pushover uh, as much as Yeltsin was, uh, and um, and so so much of Russia's trajectory over the past generation has been uh, affected by the, the global oil price. I think if we're to look out in the next five, ten years and say, is Russia going to be healthy? Is it going to be a vibrant player? Uh, maybe even somewhat of a, uh, a threat on the global scene. A, a lot of it's uh, a function of, of, of these, uh, these international energy markets. Uh, and with respect to energy, Putin uh, likes to keep control of uh, state control of natural gas through Gazprom and uh, also the uh, uh, petroleum production as well, although there is some private sector. Uh, we know what he did to, to Khodorkovsky's firm and, you know, eight, nine years ago he took control over it, brought, brought it back over the Kremlin because he understands that there's a relationship between the Kremlin's power both domestically and abroad and the Kremlin's ability to control those natural resource rents. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think they've probably tied their fate, for better or worse, to uh, global energy markets. It would be nice to see them begin to diversify their economy more, to invest more in the, in the public education system, um, to build out the infrastructure, uh, create better highway system, for example. The Russian highway system is a, is a mess. Uh, to use their, their oil wealth to make some of these long-term investments that ultimately would allow the economy to be, uh, become a little bit more diverse. There aren't a lot of signals on the scene right now that they're really kind of doing those, doing those sorts of things. So. Professor Paul, thank you so much.